Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to be here on a Sunday morning to be able to share with you the Word of God. We are on the final message in the series that we've been doing for about two months. So we've been journeying through spiritual recovery, and I'm really excited that we get to do this. Um, today, we'll be talking specifically about recentering worship. And this topic is really interesting because Axis is filled with folks who have a lot of worship-leading experience experiences in other settings and even in this setting. So hopefully these things will be good reminders and they will be good challenges and they will fill your heart with a way to move forward in terms of spiritual recovery. Now, if you are here for the first time or if it's been a while and you haven't heard of what this topic is about, we're talking about spiritual recovery because during this time of the pandemic and other things that are going on in the world, there's a lot of stress and strain on our lives. And this bleeds into areas of our relationships, our work, everything. And if we continue in a state of being overtaxed and tired, we can quickly move into a state that we all know as, all know as burnout. And we don't want to be in burnout. We want to take on practices that will help us move away from burnout and tiredness into the living waters that Jesus has prepared for us, that he promises. And worship has a very unique way to move us into that state. So we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be interweaving some songs um, along with the message uh, as we do this. That's why uh, the worship team will be helping us with some music. Now, what is worship? What are we talking about here when we talk about worship? Well, a little clue comes from the English term itself and the way that the English word worship was formed. It comes from this idea of recognizing worth in something. There's a worthiness, and we recognize it, we pay attention to it, we lift it up, and that is at the heart of what worship is in its basic essence. Now, Here's a little thought experiment to help you understand worship on a very common level. Let's say you had 60 seconds to save something in your home. Let's say, I don't know, it was on fire or something, you know, and you only had one minute to run in and save something. Now, assuming that all human life was already safe and all, all furry friends were also safe, what would you go in and say? Get out of the thought. You know, and maybe whisper something to the person next to you. What would you say? Okay. <laughs> I am guessing that very few of you, I hope none of you, answered <laughs> a bag of chips. <laughs> maybe yesterday's trunk or treat Halloween candy. <laughs> I mean, these may be of some value, but no, you would not run into your house to save these things or to pay them any attention whatsoever. You would go in and save something of real value, like an heirloom, like a photo book. I have pictures of my family, of my grandmother that are one of a kind. I haven't transferred them to my hard drive yet, still after a couple of years, but they are there and I need to go run and get them because they're irreplaceable. That's why the memories I have left. And I am assuming that many of you have the same thing. There are objects and things in your home filled with value, filled with worth. This is worship. 
you understand that different things in life carry different weight. They have different sense of worth. In the Christian sense, when we come to God, we are recognizing that we have come to the most unique being in all the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who has made you, the one who has planned a future for you, the one who has saved you. And in that sense, we are recognizing that God is of supreme value and we have come to honor that. We have come to lift up our hearts and our attention to God. That is at the essence of worship for us as Christians. Now, if you're a little bit newer to this, I want to help you understand that worship is something that we all do. If you are newer to church world, we worship things like sports, right? Like the Astros, or we cheer for teams when they're doing well because, yeah, we find some worth in that. And that's a normal thing. There are sometimes TV shows and movies that people like, and they recommend them to friends. And that's sharing the worthiness of that show and say, hey, this is a good show. It's about <laughs> something, and you should watch it, or it'll make you laugh, or this will be a good time. Or there's a great restaurant. It's on Westheimer and Wilcrest. They serve fried chicken, and you should try it. It's got a five-star review. You won't regret it. So we do these things. We assign value to it, and we share it with other people, okay? I was referring to Hootadoc, in case anybody was wondering about that place on Yelp. Okay, well, the ancient Greeks kind of knew about this, and they had this myth, this fable, to describe uh, a problem that they recognized. There's once a, a man who was probably the most attractive man in the world. <laughs> and he was so attractive, he was born of like a nymph and a god or something like that. And he had this gift of attractiveness, but he spurned offers of love. So in a cruel twist of fate, a nymph came up to him one day and led him to a pool of water that was so clear that when he looked in it, he saw his own reflection. And when he saw his own reflection, he fell in love with himself. Imagine that. <laughs> so his name was Narcissus, and he died at that pool longing for love from an image or a reflection. Now, we all know this story, and many of us heard of the myth of Narcissus. The Greeks recognized thousands of years ago that self-centeredness and self-worship leads to self-destruction. Here we are, 2,000 later, years and years later, I wonder if we've learned anything. You see, one of the great temptations of life is to make lesser things our ultimate thing. We end up worshiping things that were never meant to be our first love, including our own image. And this is one of the things that we need to interact with. This dynamic is something we need to pay attention to if we want our hearts, our souls, to experience spiritual recovery. Because in the process of life, we end up making things our first love. And when we worship 
and we pay attention and we expect our life to come from these things, they do not deliver. God warned us of these things. God, our creator, whom we were made in his image, who has saved us and who has redeemed us, warns us of this. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Interesting phrase here. I am a jealous God. Some people are troubled when they hear that and wonder what that could possibly mean. What does jealousy have to do with a perfect God? Isn't jealousy a bad thing? Well, jealousy needs to be distinguished from things like envy. Envy is a, a bad quality. Yes, it's a sin. But jealousy is about a right relationship that has gone wrong. It is right for me to be jealous for something that has a good relationship. That if this good relationship has somehow turned away or if someone is unfaithful, if I am jealous for that lover to come back to me, well, that's a good thing. You and I have been created by this God. We've been redeemed. We've been saved through Jesus. And we begin to turn our hearts away to things that are lesser, things are, that are only meant for temporary enjoyment. God gets jealous, and rightfully so, because we've replaced the ultimate with the temporary. So here's a quick definition. Um, worship is active communion with God, in which believers, by grace through faith, focus their hearts' affections and minds' attention on humbly glorifying God in response to his character, his acts, and his word. So today what we're going to do is we're going to move into three aspects, three dimensions of worship, and we're going to talk a little bit more about them and then sing some songs that help us move into these dimensions. And these are a little bit theological in nature. Hopefully you'll be able to catch some of the scripture. There's like quite a bit of scripture to help you focus your attention on God. The first is understanding the past. And when we look to the past, what worship can do when it's through music and lyrics and these things put together, they can help us remember the faithfulness of God. You see, the God that we worship is the God of scriptures, the God of the Bible, is the God who introduces himself as the creator God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meaning he has a specific history with real people and with real promises and a real way of being. Some of us imagine God as this abstract entity out in space, and maybe that comes from some of our theistic modern notions of what God might be. But the God of the Bible has a specific history and a specific working out. And he has brought Jesus to us 
in a specific way to die for our sins, to bring us into new life, and lead us to redemption. Now, whoops. A couple of verses to help us remember this. Remembering is the crux of this when it comes to the past. Remembering is a huge part of what we do in worship. Deuteronomy chapter 5, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you, brought, brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Sometimes we think of the Sabbath day as we can't do this, we can't do that, but God gives context. His history is this. He saved slaves from oppression. The Sabbath is a gift. That's how we are supposed to receive it. Remember that. And then in the next chapter, Deuteronomy 6, when God says, I will lead you into a time of wealth, of great abundance. Do not forget the Lord in all of your wealth. Good words for us today. And then in Joshua 4, when God led his people to a promised land, he led them through a miraculous uh, journey through a river that was halted for them. And he said to take up stones, and these are to be a memorial. See, God wants the people to remember that specific history. Now, moving on to the Psalms. The Psalms are the songbook of the people of God. Just two quick examples here. When the people of God worshipped, they remembered. When their souls were downcast, they were called to remember. Remembrance is what brought life. Psalm 77. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the miracles of long ago. And then we move to the New Testament. What do the people of God, when we share the bread and drink the cup, what are we asked to do? We're asked to remember. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, as we move into this first song, and remember and recall the faithfulness of our God, let's remember so we're going to go into a song. The wizard team is going to lead us. Invite you to be able to, to sing this along with us. You're welcome to stand or sit as we worship together. Wherever is your posture of worship. i 
Thank you, Jessica and Cassidy. The most important act of remembrance in the New Testament church is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And from this flows a great encouragement to you and to me. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. This is spiritual recovery. It is the understanding that in Christ we've been given a Savior. And in Him will not all things come to pass. Okay. The next dimension is the present. And the present is, it's what we're doing now. We've come to a worship gathering. We are engaging in song. We're engaging in lyrics. We're engaging in prayer and scripture to 
Help us connect with the living God. Now, you hear me a lot on Sunday mornings, and when I describe what we do here, it's about connecting with the living God, right? That's what we're des- we design the worship gatherings to do, whether it's song and prayer and scripture, it's about connecting. I want to give a little bit of theology and understanding about what that means for us. So there's a difference between knowing about something, right, and direct experience. I probably shouldn't have put verses because they're not meant to be opposed. They're, one leads to the other, and they, they work together in harmony. But there is a difference between the two concepts that I want to point out this morning. So my wife Amy has been going bonkers with, uh, in the kitchen lately. I think it's, I don't know, part of the pandemic. Uh, I'm grateful for it. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, but she found this recipe for something called cipino, and it's this Italian seafood dish. We are not Italian, but she did a great job. It's this seafood stew with clams and fish and shrimp and spices and tomato base. And she made these crispy bread things. <laughs> that were so good and they were soft in the middle crunchy on the outside full of butter and oh my goodness was it tasty now what i've done for you right now hope besides making you hungry is i've given you information about something none of you will have direct experience of this dish that's the limitations of home cooking She's not cooking for 100 people. She just cooks for me and the kids, and that's the way it is. Um, and you will have your own stories to share of that kind of a thing. God invites us not only to know about him, but to have a direct experience. And one of the things that God does is he uses the metaphor of food to help us understand this dynamic. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the water. And what, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And what, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. And what God is inviting you and me into is a direct experience of his grace, of his covenant life, of being in these promises, of knowing them for ourselves, not just knowing about them as if they were on some remote page, but to experience a life that is filled with the intensity of this reality. This is our God, and this is what we're invited to know. And most specifically for us as a New Testament church is this. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is our theme verse for the year, so you've heard it many times here, but it describes a reality that we often forget because the weeks get hard, stress and strain makes us forget, but God has given you and me his Holy Spirit. And we don't have to languish. We can live into this reality. So, as we go into this next song, this is about direct experiences. What the words and the music can do is lead you to experience 
a direct connection with God. It's not remote. It's not just for other people. It's for you. So let's sing this as a prayer and receive the grace that comes from our Lord. Holy Spirit, come. In times of joy, in times of peace, in times of sorrow, in times of grief, your still small voice can speak so clearly. When darkness comes and I'm afraid, when I'm alone and lost my
One of the difficulties of these hybrid services that we've been learning to do and having these, um, sometimes these obstacles in our way for connection, like watching on a screen or watching on a phone, is that we lose that sense of mystery and that presence that is with us. And I'm really happy that we can worship together. For those of us who are still waiting on that, who are waiting because of... Uh, vaccines yet and other things i really do encourage you to be able to sit in silence to be able to recognize that god is with you wherever you are whether you're online whether you're here in person but do not forget the spirit of god goes with you and now we reach our third dimension a worship that is leading to spiritual recovery and that is the future this thought that jesus is coming again. So the ancient church came up with a saying for this, and it's throughout the New Testament. You find it in just about every book in the New Testament. This thought that Jesus not only died for us, but he rose from the grave. And not only did he rise from the grave, he is alive and he is coming again. And so when the New Testament church went through things like persecution, when they were losing their possessions, when they were put into jail, when they were suffering and losing their jobs and their livelihood and their wealth, even family members, they were asked to remember this one truth. Jesus is coming again. Don't put all your hope in this world because this world will let you down. This world will hurt you. This world is a place of suffering. 
That is the world we dwell in. That is our time right now. But Jesus, he is coming again. He is coming to save and redeem and to bring about the reconciliation of all things. Jesus is coming again. A couple of scriptures here to remind us of this truth that is literally throughout the New Testament that we probably don't emphasize enough. But Titus chapter 2, here's a great example of that. You know, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Friend, this is the hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the hope. It's in our Savior coming to rescue. It won't be through better plans, better strategy, better politics, better budgets alone. These things can be good, but we all know they can also fail us miserably. And of course, this truth. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I think this is going to be our, our final song for today. But let's also remember this word. Oh, let's remember this scripture here from John 14. I know it takes a second to switch back and forth between things, but John 14 has this wonderful truth for us to sink our hearts into. When Jesus tells his disciples, my father's house has many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. May we long for this day. Let's stand together and let's, let's worship. such goodness No The shame that we would spurn it all to turn and fall into darkness And I will sing how through your son we turn this loss and hurt into glory When scorned and dead, you raise him up. His gains become the whole story. Let all these rise and bless your name. And all things made right and new again. Oh, Lord, our God, your goodness Every step we take, your faithfulness.
with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great and gracious promises that you give us. A past that reveals your faithfulness. A present that's full of your presence in the Holy Spirit. And a future in which, Jesus, we can expect your return to take us home to be with you. Thank you for all of these things. And may this and all the things that we've talked about today bring us into a richer recovery to know you in the fullest. Thank you, Lord God, for being with us today. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, friends, stay standing uh, for our sending prayer. Let's pray this together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. 
and your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. Amen.